Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Here's a five-star review we received recently. She says, thank you. Thank you for saying out loud all of my religious trauma. Spiritual abuse is real. It leaves a real impact. And this podcast helps soothe the pain. As all of you listeners are facing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion in your relationships, we do not recommend any program for abusive men that focuses on their pornography addiction recovery because it never addresses the abuse. The only program that we recommend is Center for Peace. The website for Center for Peace is cenfp.org. Center for Peace only has a limited amount of seats for limited times throughout the year. So if you want more information, go to cenfp.org or email joy, J-O-I, at cenfp.org. I have Kate Moore on today's episode. Kate Moore is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of The Radium Girls, which won the 2017 Goodreads Choice Award for Best History, was voted U.S. Librarian's Favorite Nonfiction Book of 2017, and was named the Notable Nonfiction Book of 2018 by the American Library Association. A British writer based in London, Kate writes across a variety of genres and has had multiple titles on the Sunday Times bestseller list. Her latest book is The Woman They Could Not Silence. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. It is such an honor to have you. Thank you so much for all of your hard work, like bringing these issues to light for women all over the world. It's really important and I appreciate your work. It's my honor to do it. And I have to say thank you for the work that you do. And I know simply from reading about you online, how much what you're doing is helping people. And having worked myself with survivors of domestic violence and abusive relationships, I know how important it is to have that support network. So thank you for inspiring people and supporting them as well through these difficult times. It's an all hands on deck effort to to stop abuse. It needs to be across society, really, but, you know, every little helps. So you guys are doing an awesome job. So thank you. For those in our audience who may not be familiar with your book, without revealing too much, can you please provide us with a synopsis of your book, The Woman They Could Not Silence? 
Of course. So it is my honour to introduce your listeners to the woman they could not silence. Her name was Elizabeth Packard. But I wouldn't be surprised if none of your listeners have heard her name before, because as often happens to feisty women who stand up for themselves, history has chosen to commemorate instead those men who tried but failed to silence her, and Elizabeth's story and voice have been lost in time. Her story starts on the cusp of the American Civil War in June 1860. Starts with Elizabeth, a 43-year-old housewife and mother of six, lying in bed in her marital home. It starts with a simple question. What would happen if your husband could commit you to an insane asylum just because you disagreed with him? You know, that question is strangely relevant today. Not that men are committing their abuse victims to an insane asylum, but they are committing them in metaphorically to other people thinking that they're crazy, right? So this concept is extremely relevant today to abuse victims. How did you come across Elizabeth? Now, in America, we would say Packard, but is she British? She is American. Can you say it? Picard? Packard, I say, yeah. Packard. Okay, okay, cool. How did you come across Elizabeth's story? So how I came across Elizabeth's story is a little bit topsy-turvy because I decided what I wanted to write about first before I even knew her name. So I was inspired to write The Woman They Could Not Silence because of the Me Too movement. And you probably remember how incredible that fall was when everywhere women were speaking up against abuse and harassment. And crucially, we were being listened to and believed And that got me thinking, well, why has it taken so long? Because it's not like the fall of 2017 was the first time that people had spoken out about these things. It was just the first time that we were taken seriously. And that got me thinking that centuries, whenever women have used our voices, we've been called crazy. And as you say, that is Uh, something that resonates with your audience so much because, you know, gaslighting, being told you're mad, this is going on in relationships every single day. And it happens also, I think, on a sort of political stage as well. You know, you only have to look at Nancy Pelosi or, you know, any sort of public female political figures. She will be called crazy because she's speaking up using her voice. So I decided what I wanted to write about was that the way that women have been silenced through our mental health. And so I went looking for a woman to whom that had happened. And that's how I found Elizabeth's story. And what's amazing about Elizabeth's story is not only that she survives this experience of being dispatched to an asylum, even though she's sane. What's incredible about it is that through that crucible of suffering, actually, she becomes the woman they could not silence. She finds her voice and she uses it to change the world. I'm getting chills. Like, seriously. She is a seriously impressive person. I think for me, she is the most inspiring and resilient woman I've ever encountered because everyone told her that she was mad. Her husband, her doctor, her community. But Elizabeth knew she was not. All, all she said, you know, a sort of famous quote of hers is, I, though a woman, have just as good a right to my opinion as my husband 
house for his. But just because she believed that, because she asserted herself and she asserted, you know, what she believed in, that in terms of the science of the age was enough to have her sent away to an insane asylum. That is just, I don't know, I'm really feeling like a lot of emotion right now, not just for her, but all of the women throughout time who we stand on their shoulders, right? Like for Elizabeth, like the work that she did just for standing up for herself, she's stood up for all of us. Yes, completely. And I think she really is, even though she herself was exceptional, I think she is kind of an every woman as well. And I think she sort of saw herself in that way as well when she meets the other women in the asylum to whom the same thing has happened you know they're sent away by husbands by fathers you know these are women who simply have defied domestic control you know they're causing too much trouble they're just being themselves frankly and that's enough to get them dispatched she meets these women and she calls them sisters and what's remarkable about elizabeth as well is countless times in her story she could have saved herself she could have got out early she could have you know done enough just to help her own situation but she determined that she wasn't going anywhere she was here to make a difference and she was going to take every single woman with her as she fights for freedom and independence and that fight continues even outside the brick walls of an insane asylum because she goes on to become a political force and she has made the world better for all of us you know not just the sisters that she personally met but every sister in America every sister across the world Elizabeth spearheaded a campaign to make things better for us all real quick before a response there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Here's a five-star review from Amazon. It reads... This is a needed resource. Love the index in the back with all the descriptors. She says, this book sheds light on the little known topic of betrayal trauma, provides good info and is a great resource. I am a therapist and use it with my clients. I kind of smile when she says little known topic because I'm like, a lot of women know a lot about it. They just didn't know that there were words for it. They hadn't found the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast. So again, Go to our books page, btr.org slash books, to see this book and others that we have curated there for you. And now back to our conversation. This book, which I'm sure now everyone is like, how do I get my hands on it? You can go to our books page, which is btr.org slash books. We have a curated list of all the books we recommend there that is on that list. Our links take you right to Amazon, so I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Or you can go to Kate's website, which is Kate hyphen more, that's M-O-O-R-E dot com. Our community is made up of women who are experiencing abuse in their relationships. They are being called crazy. They're being called all kinds of things like gold diggers sometimes or that they want to ruin their families or crazy stuff that is just not at all true. And particularly, they are suffering from emotional, psychological, and spiritual abuse. Most innocent bystanders, they do not see an abusive man calling her crazy as abuse. They just perceive of it as, quote unquote, 
his side of the story. Mm-hmm. So in terms of Elizabeth's experience, how might they relate with Elizabeth in this way? I think Elizabeth's story will resonate so much. And I actually want to share a quote with you from Elizabeth herself, because I think she grasped exactly that situation that you're describing. And I think she almost sort of anticipated some of the laws that we're finally seeing today in the UK, for example, there's now a law about coercive control, for example. Elizabeth wrote, and this is back in the 1860s, she said, when woman is brought before our man courts and our man juries and has no bruises or wounds or marks of violence upon her person to show as a ground of her complaint, it is hard for them to realise she has any cause for appeal to them for protection, while at the same time her whole physical system may be writhing in agony from spirit wrongs. Elizabeth understood that it wasn't necessarily about being physically abused. A man trying to crush your spirit, a man trying to dismiss what you're thinking and feeling, that in itself is enough to make you writhe in agony. And she appreciated that because this was an invisible abuse, that most people didn't credit it and they didn't give it the time of day and the attention it deserved and the protection that women deserved from these abusers. She was anticipating all of that in the 1860s. Did Elizabeth ever go through a period where she wondered if she was crazy, where she thought, maybe it is me, maybe I am crazy? I think remarkably, she didn't, actually. And actually, her strength of spirit, that sort of confidence in herself and her self-belief is actually what gets her through absolutely everybody telling her the rest. What I will say, though, is that being shut up in an insane asylum and she's moved to the worst wards because, you know, she calls out the doctor on his sexist, abusive regime. And therefore, she's moved from quite a pleasant ward to a ward, as they would describe it at the time, full of maniacs. She is locked up with no promise of release, you know, no hope of ever getting out, ever seeing her children again. And there are moments, she writes, where she comes very near the precipice of madness, not because she was mad originally, but simply because it's so hard for anyone to endure that continued abuse and endure that lack of hope without it affecting your mental health. So she did wobble at times on her journey, but I think Ultimately, the faith in herself and in God is partly what, you know, gets her through that. What I will say is that she does go on a journey. And something that really resonated with me is she talks about at the start of the book, feeling small, feeling that nothing she said was hardly worth saying or hearing. And I know I've been that woman. And to see Elizabeth grow from that position to someone who eventually becomes a political campaigner, someone who takes on her husband, takes on her doctor, takes on the world, and to have confidence in herself and in her voice. That journey is just so inspirational for me. That sounds so exciting. One of the things that I often tell victims, because when they're in the thick of it, they think, oh, well, I want to help other victims, right? And all of us do. And so they want to, for example, maybe be a therapist or maybe be a coach. And I want to encourage everyone to like take a deep breath and think about when you were eight or nine, what did you want to be? Did you want to be an attorney? Did you want to be a doctor? 
did you want to be a florist? I don't know what the thing is that you wanted, like, but where are your real dreams? And that we don't all have to be a therapist per se, in order to help victims, we can both be our full self. If her interests were in politics, for example, we can express ourselves in the way that is really natural for us while still helping victims. Like you could help victims as a florist or you could help victims as a horse trainer. You know, I don't know what the thing is, but I always just want victims to know that the world is such a big and amazing place. And this will always be part of your story. And you can advocate for, for women in anything that you do. And then there are particular people like Elizabeth, maybe like me, maybe like you, who have made our life mission to directly advocate through politics or through a podcast or other ways. But I just want victims to know that like, you don't have to run for office or you don't have to be a therapist or something in order to affect the world. And the best way that you can make the world a more peaceful place is getting yourself to safety. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that advice about trying to center again on who you are and what you're passionate about is so important because I think often when people have been in those abusive relationships you know they are worn down by the abuse their very person is called out so much is questioned so much that you start to question yourself and actually to try and recenter it on who you are and what's important to you is a really important thing to do and I think actually that's something that Elizabeth Packard you know does experience as well she has to sort of go back to basics you know the experience of being locked up in that insane asylum for years it forces her to confront who she is and what matters and actually for her ultimately she decides that this thing that is the worst thing that could happen to her is actually the best thing that could happen to her because she says the worst that my enemies can do they have done and I fear them no more I am now free to be true and honest. No opposition can overcome me. And it's like she has to hit rock bottom. But from that, she can then rise like a phoenix to become the woman that she was always destined to be. That is so inspiring. And I want to tell all of our listeners that that is your destiny too. That you have your own mission in life, whatever that is. And it you can rise from the ashes and live a life of peace and wonder. In Elizabeth's case, it just sounds like the most amazing journey and also like adventure that she was on. Yes. Yes, I think it was ultimate. And it's one of those strange things, isn't it? You know, it had none of this horrific stuff ever happened to her. She would have continued in her home, being a homemaker, being a mother, being a wife. And actually, because of these horrifying circumstances that she finds herself in, it actually leads her to, as you say, this completely different public life where she travels from coast to coast across America, you know, changing laws as she goes, changing minds, changing hearts, inspiring women, inspiring men to help women. And none of that would have happened had her husband not tried to silence her. So good can come from the bad, I guess, is the thing that, you know, there is another chapter that comes after it. And it's a chapter that you can write yourself and make yourself the heroine of that story and the heroine of whatever journey it is that you're going to go on. Yeah, I feel like that now in my own personal journey from recovering from abuse, I feel like my life has become this amazing adventure 
and I feel an immense sense of gratitude for what I've been through. I also want to acknowledge that many of our listeners are in this place where they can't even fathom sunlight again. There is just a tunnel with no light at the end of it. And it feels almost offensive when people say, I'm so grateful because I've been there or it's like, why would I be grateful? This is the most awful, horrible, horrific thing. And I do think with time, with healing, with boundaries, with skills, you come out of that. But also abuse, the purpose of it is that darkness. It is to keep you feeling that way, keeping you feeling hopeless, keeping you feeling like you can't move forward or you can't get out. And so to have examples like Elizabeth, especially from the 1800s, is so inspiring. You talked about some of the laws that Elizabeth had an influence over and some of the work that she did here in America. For American women today or women all over, besides her story and being inspired by her story, do any of us have direct benefit that we didn't even realize we had from Elizabeth's life work? Definitely. She was born in Massachusetts. The story takes place in Illinois because they move west at some point during their marriage. But yeah, she was born and grew up in Massachusetts. I think many people don't realize how unjust laws used to be for wives. Um, we see even today that society has rules mean that women are on the back foot and are not the people with power but it used to be that there was a law known as coverture which was inherited from England in the 1100s and it was in operation in America at the time Elizabeth was sent to the asylum and essentially coverture meant that wives had no legal identities of their own they were mere shadows of their spouses legally so they had no right to their own earnings they had no right to the custody of their own children they had no right even to their very liberty. So her husband sending her away to the asylum was not just enabled by the medical science of the day that said that assertive women were mad. It was enabled by the law of the land as well, because the law said that a husband could send his wife to an asylum by request and specifically without the evidence of insanity that was required in other cases. So some of the laws that Elizabeth tackled and changed were to change that situation so that safeguards were put in place so that same wives could not be sent away by their husbands. She also tackled things such as a woman's right to her own earnings because as you know, many of your listeners will know, financial independence can give independence full stop if you're tied to a man financially, it can seem almost impossible to break away. And so Elizabeth was tackling those injustices. She wanted to make sure that women could not be sent away by their husbands. She wanted to ensure that women could stand on their own two feet, that they could have the custody of their children. Elizabeth suffered terribly when it came to looking after her six children because being sent away to the asylum, she had no care of them for the years that she was there. And then even when she came out and there was a landmark legal trial, which actually, spoiler alert, declared her sane, even then, she could still not care for her children because her husband essentially kidnapped them and took them to a different state. And that was legal. 
because Elizabeth, as the wife, had no right to the custody of her children. So some of the laws that also she campaigned to change and did change were about the custody of children so that mothers were given the same rights as men, that they could actually be guardians for their own children. You know, initially when she started campaigning, a wife by law could not become the guardian of her children. Um, so these are the kind of laws that she was tackling. We may think, oh, well, it was the 1800s. You know, that is a very different time then. Actually, my research showed that sort of hangovers from these 19th century laws stretched way into sort of present day and, and more recent history. So, for example, did you know that it wasn't until 1974 that American women could get a credit card independently? Before then, a man had to co-sign any credit application. What? Sorry. I just have to pause there and be like, what? Yep. <laughs> I was born in 1977. So this is three years before I'm born. Thank goodness someone liberated us from that. Yeah. So, I mean, I've given very sort of specific, concrete examples there, but that's the kind of campaign Elizabeth embarked on. And as you say, as well as the sort of concrete laws that she changed in the law books, we have her as a shining example now of a woman who was oppressed and was abused and was gaslighted and was told that she was crazy. And she's a woman who managed somehow against all the odds to rise above that and to fight for what she believed in and to fight for her freedom and the freedom of others. Kate and I are going to pause this conversation here. I am in love with Elizabeth and so grateful for all of the amazing women that have come before us that have made the world a better place for us. We're going to continue talking about her next week, so stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.